Sup, nerds! This is In My Expert Opinion, a podcast about the nonfiction side of speculative fiction. Your hosts are Dr. Marcus Cole. I'm technically a scientist. Sarah Ward. I'm a scientist in progress. And me, Abby Cole. I'm not a scientist at all. Join us as we geek out about the made-up stuff we love and the real stuff that shaped it. we're going to be talking about alchemy in Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. I love this show, <laughs> and I feel like it needed sound effects, so I'm just going to do my own reggae horn. That's fair. And to really clarify 100%, this is Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, which actually follows the manga, because we don't want to talk about the 2003 version, which really just no, like no. went off the rails at some point. I haven't watched the 2003 version my understanding is that it's garbage, and also having read some wiki stuff, it sounds like yeah. it's garbage. When I, it's a hot mess. I don't know. I was in like middle school when that <laughs> dropped, and I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't in the maga. I was yeah. like, "Full Metal Alchemist is stupid." And then as like an adult, I saw Brotherhood <laughs> and was like, "What was wrong with me? Did I just not understand culture yet, or it was just bad?" <laughs> Iconic show, dude. You just weren't cultured enough yet. Yeah, this show tricked me into thinking that I would like Shonen in general. <laughs> <laughs> it's because the pacing of it is like astounding yeah uh we so should probably what's say the... what it's about right yeah tell us about the show sarah <laughs> yeah okay so basically full metal alchemist um is um it takes place in like the early 1900s uh kind of like in a parallel universe so they're like basically in like europe adjacent it's called amistris uh it follows two brothers edward elric and alphonse elric who are both teenagers. They are both alchemists that are trying to find a philosopher's stone uh, in order to restore their bodies. Um, specifically, Al's whole body. Uh, his soul is currently bound to like a piece of armor and Ed's arm and leg, which he lost uh, during the same accident when they tried to bring their mother back from the dead using alchemy. Um, so the story just kind of like follows these two as they try to find the philosopher's stone. They like uncover this crazy conspiracy theory about their country and really just kind of, I don't know, I guess get involved in shenanigans kind of like downplays like the actual mystery and intrigue of the whole thing. Yeah, I think if you say shenanigans, that belies the se seriousness and severity of the thing. describe like interacting with the one truth in the universe and or God. By the way, this podcast is going to have spoilers in it because, yeah... So if you don't want spoilers, just don't listen to this one. Yeah, pause. Pause yeah. right now. Go watch it. And then that's back. true. Yeah. Skip skip episode four. <laughs> no, that's don't watch episode. <laughs> don't don't watch episode four. This episode has a girl get spliced together with her pet dog. Maybe we should just like talk about what they mean about alchemy because that kind of okay. Like, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. It. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so basically, like. The way that alchemy works is very similar to like how we think of alchemy, both as like a pseudoscience and like a precursor to chemistry and also just kind of like this mystic art. It is uh, something that is done by people who have like knowledge of materials. So they have to understand the material, they break it down into its like bare bones components, and then they reconstruct it into something else. Um, this could be something like, oh, my radio is broken. I'm going to use alchemy to fix the pieces and put it back together the way it's supposed to be. The show's alchemy system is like way better than what we actually did in like the real world and how like it kind of made sense. Yeah. Um, so they have this whole idea of equivalent exchange. This is broken down into like the law of conservation of mass uh, and also 
basically like makes like. So I think they call it the law of natural provenance, but it's that if something has the same basic materials, it can be used to make something that has the same materials. Something made of water can be used to make something else made of water, or at least predominantly water. They talk throughout the show about like the four classical elements, so like water, earth, fire, air. There's also the three essential uh, elements, salt, sulfur, and mercury. And they use these things called transmutation circles or transmutation arrays, where the circle focuses energy and then the runes inside the circle allow them to use the energy. It's like a channel kind of thing to, in order to like focus it to do exactly what they want. So every single array or circle has like a slightly different like format to it. It's cool. It's a lot of... Punching and explosions. Yeah, <laughs> is is the other thing that if you're if, you, if I'm gonna dumb it down for you all, it's yeah. a lot and of I don't know. And it's explosion. like there's so many unique ways people kind of use like the transmutation circle. You can put it on items mm -hmm. or on things that you wear on your person to kind of help you like access your alchemical weapons or powers or right like there's a that i mean honestly my favorite alchemy in the whole show is roy mustang's alchemy because he does the flame alchemy stuff so he like wears gloves that have circles on them uh that include like salamanders to represent like the fire component and then he just like snaps his fingers and like these huge like balls of flame are like produced he might have the coolest homunculus kill in this show oh. i and i rewatched it today and it, I don't know, Roy destroyed Envy. Or sorry, Lust. Sorry, not, I watched Lust. Oh. Well, he does, he kind of does both. But yeah, so the primary antagonists in Full Metal Alchemist are these creatures called homunculi that are connected to something, or the a person called Father. And uh, they are represented by the seven deadly sins. Um, so there's like lust, envy, greed, that kind of thing. Um, and they're all like powered by these philosopher stones that Ed and Al are trying to find in their journey, um, which allows them to be essentially immortal and have these like wild powers. Like envy can shape change, uh, greed can turn his uh, skin into a super hard form of carbon, solidifies his ultimate like, shield. shield. Yeah, his yes. ultimate shield on him. Uh, and then like, <laughs> so good. And then like lust can like grow out her like nails to be like knives, essentially that can do like distance attacking. Yeah. It's pretty rad. Yeah. When I first watched, okay, so the only understanding I had of a homunculus before I watched this was from my intro psych class that I took. And I was, I didn't know that it was like an alchemical thing. And so I was fully confused by it because the in, in intro psych, as far as I understand, they are like these a homunculus are these little models of how much of your brain space is devoted to which organs. So like, it looks like a little doll but like distorted proportionate to how much your brain has to work to operate those things, right? So like if organs that have like more sensory whatever have bigger brain space dedicated to them. So then like like your hands, for example, which have tons of nerve endings and like have to do all this like fiddling and all that are like huge on this little doll guy. And it's <laughs> the creepiest fucking thing. And I was totally confused as to how this was uh, at all related. But yeah, it's like a doll, a little model of your brain's priorities. <laughs> it's ugly as heck. Yeah. The way they it's use like homunculus really is horrifying. like artificial human. Um, so they're yeah. just like fake people that father made uh, in order to like execute his goals and stuff. And they're like powered by these philosopher stones. Which I've since learned is a much more common <laughs> use of the word homunculus. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else is there about Full Model Alchemist? Oh, there's like the concept of human transmutation. That could be stuff like 
soul binding. Um, but basically any type of human transportation is like illegal. Uh, making an artificial human or a homunculus is considered human transmutation. In the show, a lot of characters think it's not possible before they like meet these characters, but it's still like considered illegal by like the laws of uh, the military state that they live in. There's also like human chimera formation. So chimera alchemy is like bio alchemy, you like splice two creatures together, but like doing it with a human is obviously bad news bears. Um, and then also like resurrection is like a thing that's explored a lot in the show because it starts with them dealing with the repercussions of trying to bring their mom back to life, which obviously fails. And the reason they were injured is because when you do alchemy that doesn't have a correct equivalent exchange, you get what's called like a rebound effect as the energy kind of like fluctuates and tries to restabilize itself. And in this case, it like caused them to lose parts of their body or their entire body. There was the priest at the beginning who tried to like make his gun better and fix it, but it like spliced into his arm. So he had this like horrifying gun parts sticking out of like parts of his arm and stuff like that because of the rebound effect. Yeah. It's a lot of body horror. A lot of body horror. I feel like, I guess this is good, like kind of debate topic, but it doesn't seem like every time human transmutation was done, it opened up like a portal to the truth. It like seemed like it had to be like a certain like level of human transmutation. Cause like the priest didn't like, I mean, we don't see it in the show. The priest didn't like go right. to the truth or lose a limb, but maybe he did in that moment. I think the idea is that it's only when you're like trying to resurrect something. So Ed and Al's teacher, Izumi, also tries to resurrect. Uh, she had like a stillborn birth um, and she tries to resurrect her child and that caused her to go to the gate uh, and see the truth. The whole truth thing is like loaded with dramatic irony. I don't. I actually don't really know if it's dramatic irony, but like concept of uh, you tried to bring your baby back to life in exchange, the body part you lose is your like reproductive organs. That's regular irony. It's just regular irony. Yeah. Or Roy <laughs> is uh, forced to open up a gate and he loses his eyesight because he was an idealistic person who was trying to like look forward to the future and stuff like that. Uh, Shit. Yeah. No, it's pretty wild. <laughs> don't mess with the truth, man. <laughs> Lesson learned. The truth or God or whatever else they decide to call it. I was just gonna say that whole concept of the truth is just charged and awesome and really kind of creepy. Super yeah. creepy. It has like the creepiest smile too. So uh, how how does uh, how's alchemy worked in our real life human world, Sarah? Uh, yeah, so I actually did a little bit of research. So I thought we could just like go through like the history of alchemy overall. Um, and then like point at stuff that's like very, like obviously an inspiration for things in Full Metal Alchemist because oh, yeah. there's like obviously a lot of it. Alchemy is like a historical thing that's existed for thousands of years. So I guess to start with, alchemy itself is like not really a word with a known origin. There's like a lot of like suggested origins. Basically, it comes down to people thinking it's either Coptic or Greek. So the Coptic origin is the word chem, which means black. It refers to the fertile soil around the Nile. Later on, it became alchemia when it was converted into Arabic. The Greek version, it comes from chemia, which is a... Uh, means to pour together. It refers to like metallurgy. Um, and that also became alchemia in Arabic. So those are like the two main things that people think it refers to. But both of those kind of point to the fact that alchemy as we think of it started in Hellenistic Egypt in like the third century. It did independently originate in like China and India. Those two forms of alchemy uh, are actually really similar to the alkahestry that's seen in Full Metal Alchemist. So the stuff that's about healing and about like elixirs and stuff like that and having internal and external kind of alchemy. But Alchemy that started in Egypt started mostly with uh, Zosimus or Zosimus of Panopolis. Uh, he wrote 28 books on alchemy, including a book called On Apparatus and Furnaces, where he talked about things like distillation and sublimation, filtration. On apparatus what? Apparatus and furnaces. Apparatus and furnaces. Yeah, it's a whole <laughs> comprehensive thing, I guess. 
That's such a wild title. Right? So what he was really concerned with was like this idea of metallic transmutation, which kind of is like what we think of when we think of like alchemy as you make gold from other things. Um, And so he was really interested in the effects of like solids on vapors. Like if you use calamine or like zinc containing earth and then you vaporize it, it can turn copper golden because it makes brass, which is an alloy of copper and zinc. Um, So he did like a ton of like really early chemistry experiments uh, and wrote about them and published them. Did he think it was gold? No, or he just he was like was interested brass. in like how materials, vapors could change other materials. Oh, I bet he was just like, cool, it's golden now. Yeah, yeah he was like, oh, cool. Like, he can make okay. gold. <laughs> this this is like some mystic, like someone who did not understand science. And yeah, I mean, we saw like, people oh my like God. this today. It's like, we can't see the, the virus, so it's not real. Right. Um. And so mm. he was actually the first mention of the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, which he thought was like a medicine that can turn lesser metals into silver or gold. So that's like the whole origin of alchemy is this dude who is like, I'm fucking around with vapors. I'm seeing what they do to materials. And also I'm pretty sure I can find something that can turn silver or that can make silver or gold out of like lead or something like that. So you guys are chemists. Is that doable? Uh... I know that it's not doable. I mean, if you could literally change an atom's like electronic structure at a fundamental level, then yeah. But yeah, like changing like the proton nucleus electron like composition. Yeah. We need a physicist for this yeah, one. Then? Is that... I mean, I'm certainly but, not like, a physicist. Practical <laughs> chemistry that we can like do either at a small scale or at a large scale. No, you cannot turn lead into gold as we understand chemistry today. Yeah, it is interesting because you can, I guess, like, quote unquote, make gold with like particle accelerators, but that's obviously not the same thing as like transmutation, right? So So a particle accelerator (laughs) is basically a philosopher's stone. (laughs) Could be a transmutation circle. I mean, they are very typically circular. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Much like the transmutation circle that surrounded the entire country of Amestris (laughs) and Full Metal Alchemist. Yes. It's all coming together. We are Full Metal Alchemists. Just kidding. We don't want that. Well, I don't actually remember. In in the show, do they transmute metals into each other? So they actually just briefly mention it as a thing that's illegal. It is illegal for any alchemist in the country to make gold. It is uh, a noted thing for people like Ed uh, and Roy Mustang, who are state alchemists. So the military state uh, licenses alchemists, who are then considered part of the military. Um, they get like associated money because of it, and they have to act in the military's interests. Uh, they are specifically told you cannot make gold; it'll disrupt our like currency system. Which I guess the implication is that that show can you can make gold. Hmm. They just brushed over it. They were like, "That's boring alchemy. Let's but move you on know to why like, they the do crazy this alchemy." Because it's it would be a more perfect world. Because in our world, when we need more money, we just print more, and this is inflation, and this is a real problem and destabilizes country. <laughs> So making a bunch of gold in this society would, like, destabilize their government. Absolutely. Because, like, gold has no value. When you look at Greek and Egyptian alchemy, they did a lot of progress. Um, You can then look at to Arabia to see, like, more expansions on alchemy. Most notably with my man, uh, Jabir. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very excited to talk about this guy. Wait, Jabir, say it again? Jabir? Ebin, which I think means like son of, and then his last okay. name is uh, Hion. Hion. Yeah. Okay. He wrote a bunch of books, cool. including the Book of Purification. 
Um, he was a really big fan of this mercury sulfur theory. So I mentioned like mercury and sulfur um, as like one of the, or as part of this essential group of elements in Fullmetal Alchemist. And that's because for a long time, a lot of people thought that all metals were made of the same things. They were just arranged differently. So instead of having gold atoms, they were all mercury and sulfur, not necessarily the elements, but the concept of mercury as a moist exhalation and sulfur as a smoky exhalation. Wait, what? Okay. A, a smoky exhalation? Wet vapor or dry vapor? Wet vapor was mercury, dry vapor was sulfur. Mercury gave off wet vapor and sulfur gave off dry vapor. But when they said mercury and sulfur, they weren't necessarily referring to elemental mercury or sulfur. Just these concepts oh. of mercury and sulfur. Is it at all related to humors? Um, No, but that actually comes later. Uh, is alchemy oh. um, dismantling the whole humor concept. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so mercury and sulfur, uh, they thought that those would give the purest of metals. So the purest mercury and the purest sulfur gave gold. Mostly pure of each gave silver. And then every other metal was some combination of those two. And because all metals were mercury and silver, you could transmute between metals. So that was the basic idea Wait. of metallic transmutation. So the, the purest, a mixture of the purest mercury and sulfur? Yeah, is so gold? every single okay. metal is both. But if you get the best of All both, metals are both. It's gold. Okay. Um. So okay. there was a lot of, I guess, quote unquote support for this. Iron and copper smell like sulfur when they're burned. So this made people think, oh, these are mostly sulfur. Uh, tin and lead, when they melt, are kind of look like mercury, you know, the silvery liquid. So they thought, oh, these are mostly mercury. And this kind of gave people this idea that actually all metals are mercury and sulfur. And because of that, if I can learn how to transmute them, I can make something like lead, which is mercury and sulfur, into gold, which is also mercury and sulfur, just by rearranging uh, the mercury and sulfur within them. And so a lot of them thought at this time that the Philosopher's Stone was something that could do that, that was like capable of this kind of like small-scale transmutation. And so this is actually what gives rise to the word uh, elixir, which is Arabic for uh, al-ixir. Um, so the Philosopher's Stone also became known as like an elixir that can do this kind of transmutation. Is, is the Philosopher's Stone also a metal made of mercury and sulfur or no? I actually have found very little as to like what exactly it is. There's like a lot of text on um, how to make it. This is like this whole convoluted process filled with ingredients. No one actually ever discovered it, obviously, because we've never transmuted anything to gold. But a lot of people had like theories on how to make it, which mostly just involved throwing a bunch of ingredients together and seeing what happened. It's a whole big thing in 100 Years of Solitude. Which is... A book. Oh. <laughs> it's a book. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was uh, Arabic alchemy. And then we move on to Europe. So in like the medieval era of alchemy. At this point, Antichrist uh, became a really severe well, concern. Dropped that out, out of nowhere. <laughs> At this point, they were very concerned about the Antichrist. A lot of alchemists were very religious and thought that alchemy could provide the salvation for humanity against the Antichrist. Okay, you have to wow. you have to give me a second to let this one sink in. That's fair. Alchemists thought it was the solution to the Antichrist. Let's call it the Antichrist problem. The Antichrist, Antichrist paradox, problem? maybe. <laughs> they were very concerned about it. At this point, they started getting this idea that not only did humanity need gold, but also- We also needed defense against the Antichrist. But also we needed a universal medicine that can cure anything, any ailment. Um, and so this idea of a universal medicine got conflated with the Philosopher's Stone. We see this in like Fulminate Alchemist when like Ling shows up, be like, I'm looking for the elixir of life, the Philosopher's Stone, like something that can cause or give immortality. It's based on this kind of idea of the Philosopher's Stone went from being something that's just like an alchemy powering tool to something that can like cure anybody of any disease. Huh. So alchemists wanted to have universal health care. So they it's were really, really it's into the old. idea. 
It's that old li- listeners who may not be on the side of universal healthcare. <laughs> this is not a new concept. <laughs> Turns out that a bunch of uh, I, I will friars say, in medieval times are really into this. You're, but you're using you're using sort of not super credible people well, to endorse the time, this. These though, were like the, the most moment. credible people. Like they're like these are like uh, people that are making us okay, gold fair. and like alchemy like produced real medicine. Yeah, it did. Um, to quote Mac from It's Always Sunny. Sometimes science makes us look like bitches. Science is a liar sometimes, but that doesn't mean it wasn't useful at the time. Okay, so Antichrist, did it work? Uh, no, but at some point, <laughs> this one guy, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, or rather his like place name, uh, John of Rupus Siska. He wrote several sure. books, including one called The Book of Light, uh, which was specifically about the Roman church and how alchemy can be used to help it. He also wrote a book help called- Help it do what? Uh, like, Solve the Antichrist Problem. Oh, okay. Um, and basically, Human Salvation. Uh, he also wrote something called On the Consideration of the Fifth Essence of Essence of All Things, which is about alchemy as it relates to medicine. And he basically was like, Christians need gold and healthy bodies. And this is how we're going to beat the Antichrist. His main idea was that alcohol was the solution to this problem. So he called okay. alcohol burning water Wait. or the water of life. And he was like- this can prevent corruption because one time I left out meat and it rotted, but when I put yeah. meat in alcohol, it didn't rot. Therefore, alcohol okay. can just took a really big leap. <laughs> yeah, very big leap. Okay. Help. Okay. Okay. Alchemy, healthy bodies, antichrist, and then alcohol is the elixir of life. Is that like what we're talking about? Like the water of life, basically? The water of life, sorry. That's all it's Basically, or if you have wine, it turns to vinegar, but ethanol doesn't turn to vinegar. Ethanol yeah. can't break down to acetic acid, I guess was like the Under idea. Under regular circumstances. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Like just yeah. leaving it sitting on like your counter. Honestly, the way you're presenting these like sort of logical conclusions that people reach is like fairly convincing. It's like, yeah, it didn't, it kept it from dying. I mean, or getting when you bad, don't know what so. an atom is, like what else are you, like, Obviously, this is, yeah. like, the best they could do at the time. And it was yeah, And everything's just, like, observation-driven. There's no, like, spectroscopy. You're not, like, measuring... I mean, I think maybe, like, you might me- measure boiling points of things and things like that. But, like, you're really, Basically, like, at a yeah. fundamental level, like, you can only observe, like, through, like, your human aspects. It's like, oh, I see that this didn't go bad, or I ate this and it didn't make me sick. And I have to assume right. all of the other stuff that's going down at, like, the molecular level. Do you guys happen to know when microscopes were invented? Is this too much of a tangent? I guess I don't really know when all microscopes were invented. Mostly I work with electron microscopes if I work with any kind of microscopes, which is like a, what, 1950s? Yeah, the optical microscope, 16th century. Oh, so we are well ahead of that. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So I'll wait. (laughs) Um, I guess just the last thing from the medieval times, because I thought this was like very interesting. There was someone who wrote under the pen name Geber or Geber. Geber? Is it a German dude? I'm not sure. It actually was attributed to a lot of different people. No one's totally sure who this person was. But he wrote on the detailed summary of like metals and minerals and how to purify them and transmute them. This is in the late 13th century. He had this idea that like a lot of different things can achieve transmutation, but the Philosopher's Stone was the best one. What were all the other ones? They were like fine. No, but what were they? I'm not sure. He had a like a whole list of them. Um, he actually almost came up with an atom system in the 13th century. Wow. Wild, right? So this dude talked about the Aristotle theory, which is minima naturalia. The smallest particles of a thing can retain the form and property of that substance. 
But then he thought, what if we combine that with the mercury sulfur theory? So he came up with this idea called minimis partes. Uh, it just means least parts. Basically, this took the idea of mercury sulfur theory. So metals are made of mercury and sulfur. He thought that they were made of metal, uh, mercury and sulfur particles. They were packed into other metals differently. And that's why gold was very dense because he thought that meant that all the particles of mercury and sulfur and gold were small and tightly packed. And that's why it was very stable. Something like tin had very, very loosely packed, very large particles of mercury and sulfur. And that's why it wasn't very stable. It wasn't really an atom system. These like particles weren't divisible, he didn't like have that concept of like, you know, protons and stuff like that, but he actually really got close to the atom system by having this idea of particles make up these things. And you could have the same particles in different substances, but they're mm. packed differently. I'm pretty sure I had a book as a kid. This guy was in it. It was like an illustrated science thing uh -huh. or whatever. The image that they used for demonstrating this theory, I think was just him cutting a piece of cheese into smaller and smaller pieces of cheese and being like, look, it's still cheese. I think that's the Aristotle part of it. Oh, Because okay. Aristotle believed that like the smallest thing retained the form and substance. Never expanded on that. We oh, took the Aristotle okay. theory, but then mixed it with the mercury yeah. sulfur theory. Oh, but I mean, all okay. things considered, yeah. like this was a good approach at like, like all you basically have at this time is like geometry. And like physical properties to an extent. Like you could heat things up, cool things down, distill them, whatever. Yeah. yeah, they were doing sublimation and stuff like that. And they were like, oh, well, I guess this is makes the most sense with like the limited glassware and like yeah. techniques that I we have. I would say the glassware of Alchemist was like well beyond like the actual science they were doing. Like they had really good glassware for still like not really understanding things. <laughs> it's pretty wild. Like they were like making such complicated things and not really able to understand what they were doing no. with them necessarily but like kind of getting there anyway so at this point we get to like this early modern period of alchemy which is what a lot of people think of when they think of alchemy because this is when people started getting weird about it and realizing they could be con artists so when people think of alchemists as like fakes it's kind yeah. of because of this period this period also introduced the idea of chemical medicine as practiced by paracelsus Yes, Philippus, Aurelius, Theophrastus, Bombastus, von Hohenheim. That's the dopest name. Yep. Yeah, it's their dad. <laughs> well, no, you just said it's their dad. You should explain that more. <laughs> it's Ed and Al's dad. His name is Hohenheim. He's based on Paracelsus. You're so funny. Yeah. I love this guy's name. Can you say it one more time just for our... Or Philippus, Aurelius, Theophrastus, Bombastus, von Hohenheim. So many names. Oh, what a name. Who also was That's interested in Alcahest, which was almost Alcahestry. So I have a little bit of note on that as well. Um, there was someone who came after Hohenheim that like didn't like a lot of his theories, but talked about Alcahest as a universal solvent. Up to this point, everyone really believed in this Roman physician Galen's beliefs about medicine, which is the humor imbalance. But Paracelsus came in and was like, fuck that. I believe in chemicals. The human body is a microcosm, and the universe is a macrocosm. Illnesses were a result of an imbalance between the two of them. Instead of having to purge your humors, he believed that you had to take chemicals into your body. Like cures like, essentially. He believed that because your body wasn't balanced with the universe, you had to be healed by external medicine. Oh, okay. yeah. It's actually I mean, a lot closer to yeah. <laughs> reality. I feel like metaphorically also that works really well. The like cures like is also a thing that like we find in basic chemistry of like like dissolves yep. like. Like similar materials do things to other materials and interact with them in ways that are useful. And like even like mm. from like a sense of like drug delivery, it's like there's so many like what enzyme drug conjugates and like just trying to get things in your body that look like your body yeah like we do like targeting stuff with a lot of our research that's like there's a receptor on the cell 
that reacts with these things, let's put in that thing or a similar looking thing that'll also react with the receptor and that'll allow us to do targeted and it works. delivery. And it works. Anyway, so he like really came in with all this medical stuff. In Full Metal Alchemist, actually, Hohenheim is the one who goes to Jing and he introduces the concept of alkahestry, which is a medical alchemy. So it's because mm. Paracelsus came in and said, I believe in medical chemistry and did alchemy for that purpose. He wasn't really that interested in transmutation. He was interested in how can we use alchemy to cure people. Sweet. Yeah. The guy who came after him. Wait, no. Nope. We have to talk about, if you're not going to talk about this description of how to create Oh, I didn't want to read that because it freaked me out. I will say- I'm going to read okay, it. Okay, can I just say like a real fast quote um, yes. from Hohenheim? The real von Hohenheim or like- So the real von Hohenheim had this one quote, which I think is like so wild. He said, I am different. Let this not upset you. Bro. <laughs> the boldness. The ego. <laughs> the ego. No, that's just confidence, man. It's a little bit of ego. Honestly, I guess if you think I you're guess. like discovering the mysteries of the universe, like I, the, which, yeah. I mean, to this day, there is an ego problem in the sciences. It's like you. <laughs> God, dude. I mean, academia is just really like, rampant. Oh yeah. I mean, right? this will definitely be a part of like following episodes. But like this idea that because you're touching the untouchable and studying the mysteries, it's like, oh, I'm above the average human. It, it's right. done terrible things for like the culture of science in our world. It's very yeah. pervasive in the in academic STEM. Anyway, do you want to read the homunculus thing? Because I don't want to read it because it really freaks me out. Yeah, okay, I'm going to tell you how Paracelsus says to make a homunculus. Okay. Are you ready for this shit? Yes. Oh, by the way, Paracelsus okay. was the first guy who came up with the word homunculus. There were previous descriptions of homunculi as artificial humans in other works of alchemy, uh, but he was the first guy who said, this is a homunculus. Yeah, and here's how you make oh, one. God. That the sperm of a man be putrefied by itself in a sealed cucurbit for 40 days with the highest degree of putrefaction in a horse's womb you with me so far? No, I died. <laughs> okay. Sperm in horse womb, or at least so long that it comes to life and moves itself and stirs, which is easily observed. Easily observed, this, he says. Yeah, it's easily observed. After this time, it will look somewhat like a man, but transparent without a body. So I guess a head. After, if after this, it be fed wisely with the arcanum of human blood okay. and be nourished for up to 40 weeks and be kept in the even heat of the horse's womb, a living human child grows therefrom, with all its members like another child, which is born of a woman, but much smaller. That's insane. And I, I mean, want to know if he actually saw this at some point. Bullshit, he did. <laughs> no, he did. He he absolutely did. He said it's easily observed. Oh my God. <laughs> it says it right here. Easily observed. <laughs> this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Man, I'm wondering if he tried to impregnate some horses with his own sperm and actually got something <laughs> like to germinate. Crazy. Or, like, in, I don't know. Ugh. But I imagine if you do that, like society would basically try to remove it. Society would change. Well, no, they would just try to be like, we can't have people knowing this. We need to get rid of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's making half. I guess I love. We should clarify that in Full Metal Alchemist, the homunculi are not made from sperm in horse wombs. That's not how it happens. How does it happen? Uh, they are made from philosopher's stones. So their core oh, they're made is from the philosopher's stone, stone yeah. which is made of sperm, which is made of souls, yeah. like dead people. Well, made of souls. Yeah, they harvest okay. souls 
and that makes a philosopher's stone. Yeah. Shit. Gross, but not as gross as sperm and horse womb. I actually would argue that it would be better to try this horse thing than to kill entire groups of people. I'm not people saying it's better. The- I'm just saying that it's not as like viscerally disgusting to hear. I see, I see. Yeah. I get that. I think you could also like have a cartoon that you can show to kids to a certain extent when you have it. Of it's just soul. What? It's not like oh, <laughs> not showing semen uh, and like putting this inside. Yeah, like, no. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh my God. I guess this is the last thing I wanted to touch on with the historical alchemist before just talking about like symbolism, which I think is also really fun. So John Baptiste von Helmont, this is a guy who uh, believed in alchemist, which was a universal solvent. He believed everything was made of water. It's I close. Love that. He believed that everything was made of water because in Genesis, God made things from water. Oh, you almost had me. He proved it. I'm sorry. Let me say he quote unquote proved it by planting a tree and then watering uh-huh. the tree. And after uh-huh. five years, he said, wow, this tree gained 140 pounds of growth. Uh, the only thing I put in was water. So clearly water was converted. Uh-huh into everything else. Therefore, water makes all things. Uh, Logically sound. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) If you don't understand how chemical reactions work, which in the late 1500s, I guess you don't, sure. No. I'm calling bullshit on this one. All the, like, the chopping things up into smaller pieces and, like, look, I can see this one's steamy and this one's liquidy like mercury, whatever. That's all whatever. You have to know that, like, things grow. Yeah, but what his thought was is that (laughs) Water makes ingredients that make things. Oh. So he thought that alkahestry was a solvent, or alkahest was a solvent that could break down any compound into its base ingredients and then break them down into water, which is what they were truly made of. Stay hydrated, folks. Water's important. It is important. I think, I mean, that's, that's the reason <laughs> I want to give this dude credit is like, it's, water is important, especially when we're talking about like, I mean, all life. Yeah, I want to give this dude credit because he coined the word gas. Wait, really? Yeah, from the Greek word chaos. <laughs> I love that. It's pretty great, especially considering, like, the actual properties of gas. Yeah. So so water and alcohol from that other guy are the key things that we should be ingesting. Yes. What, uh, anything no, else? Uh, not really. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, oh, did, somewhat of, like, a tangent, but did you come across a lot of, like, just stuff talking about how alchemy was just written in the most complex code? Oh, Marcus, you read my mind because that was exactly what I was going to talk about next. Since like I watched only two videos, but I'm just like, there we know a fraction of the actual alchemy that existed in history because we can only translate so much. So let me go ahead and describe the secret code of Alchemist. Oh, Hell yeah. Basically, Alchemist thought that knowledge of the Philosopher's Stone was a gift from God. There were also like legal issues. There were several laws in different countries about how it's illegal to make gold. Henry IV, for example decreed it was illegal to create gold and silver so because of the legal what time period are we looking at here this is just like generally alchemist like writing uh most of this is going to be like medieval times forward because it is like a lot of religious stuff goes into it but even in early times there was a lot of like code okay so basically because it was a gift from god and also it was illegal to make gold they wrote everything in secret i'm not gonna lie this practice actually reminds me a lot of how peer-reviewed journal materials and methods section operate i cannot tell you the number of times i've tried to like replicate a procedure of a chemical reaction and it's clear that a very minor detail is missing dude it's true it's it's one something is like just off enough to where you can't replicate it exactly and get the yields that they're getting it's insane is it because of okay i have some theories i don't know anything about scientific peer-reviewed journals but is it a that they're lying 
B, that they're bullshitting part of it to look good, or C, that they're guarding their knowledge so that other people don't get to it at other universities before they do. Uh, Not C, because they're published, I guess. But if you look at someone's lab notebook, I've definitely seen lab notebooks where they clearly were not writing down stuff so that other people couldn't see it. I will also say, like, at conferences, like, that kind of stuff might be dropped off for preservation of, like, there's things. Because at a conference, your stuff might not be published yet, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. That's fine. I just... I don't know. It seems like a terrible yeah. world. It, but it, it's so, re- like, I've gone to conferences and talked to people about trying to run the exact same reaction. And they're like, it doesn't work. And I'm like, yeah, here's what you actually have to do. And yeah. you can go and find these journals where it's like, oh, well, when we first published this, we and we continue to use this molecule or whatever, we continue to reference that, like, synthesis. But occasionally, they'll update the SI, and you'll see that, yeah. like, they've moved to what actually works later on. And it's like, okay, well, like, you're still referencing your old paper, but you've even written down here that this procedure is actually different, because I know that reference paper. Right. It's unfortunately pervasive in a lot of scientific literature. Uh, Chemistry, I guess, specifically is what we're talking about. But anyway, so, like, alchemists loved allegory, and they came up with, like, cover names for everything. The most common cover names are, these are the most known and the least effective because they are the most known. This is like calling a metal by its associated sign. Gold was written as sun. Silver meant the moon. Lead meant Saturn. That was really common. A lot of alchemists didn't like using that because everyone would know what they were talking about. Creative ways would be like, for a corrosive substance, the word lion, dragon, or wolf. Or in mythology or folklore, the names of a lion, dragon, or wolf are something similar to represent the corrosive material. Uh, Birds were used to represent volatiles and gases. And so that's kind of like fun allegory stuff. Then it got weird because some of them would call any liquid a water and anything that could catch on fire sulfur. So they would have (laughs) a dozen references to water that all meant something different in their text. Jesus. I just like imagine like finding someone's lab notebook and all of their procedures or like their observations are written like allegorically. Right? So fucking pissed. I'd be so angry. <laughs> Listen, I actually love that a lot. It's super I know I'm coming at this from I'm coming at this from a pretty different angle, obviously, but I I, I think that's that's pretty, no, it, pretty it, cool. It's, I think it's pretty cool, cool and like especially if like you're trying to have like a secret society of like scientists, which mm-hmm. is like, oh, like the mystery's fun, but like from a practical sense, like if I'm graduating, I'm leaving my lab notebook to like another grad student. Right. Well, here's the codex. And sometimes when I'm talking about this molecule, I call it like a caterpillar, but it can also be a centipede. So just remember that. Right. <laughs> it's like, what the- It's also really interesting because like, this is a major reason why when people think of alchemists, they think of like crazy people who just were like doing nothing because their notebooks were crazy. You read the notebook and it's like, for example, substance A and B reacted, but they called it a male and female make a child. That's how they describe their reaction. If there was a third substance involved, they called it a priest. A catalyst would be a priest with the male and female making a child. Like that's how the reaction would be described. The science could have been extremely sound. And at the time it kind of was, cause like even like Isaac Newton and like Robert Boyle were alchemists. Mm-hmm. Um, they were doing real chemistry and science. Um, but if you looked at like some of these texts, it was like, wow, these people are lunatics. I love that so freaking uh. much. I, oh, the poetry of it, man. That's incredible. Yeah. And Christian, it sounds like peer reviewed journals are nothing anyway. So <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you might as well just bullshit the whole I mean, way down, it, right? man. Let's get pretty with it. <laughs> so Christianity 
uh, was also really important, obviously. So this is why you see a lot of like religious symbolism in alchemy. The Philosopher's Stone was said to exalt metals to gold. So it was compared to like Christ's power of like salvation. And actually a lot of uh, alchemists would describe the creation of the Philosopher's Stone in this like salvation way. When mm. making the stone, first it turned black. This was like death or purgatory. Then it turned white. This was the resurrection. And finally it turned red because the final product can't be harmed by fire or corruption. So like they would describe it as like Christ and his like, you know, death and rebirth and stuff like that. I actually think that part's really cool because the first philosopher stone homunculus to die in Fullmetal Alchemist died because of fire. Lust was burned to death by Mustang, mm -hmm. which to me kind of implies that they're not real philosopher stones because a real philosopher stone is red because it can't be harmed by fire. And so you have this idea of like these philosopher stone are made and powered by souls. And in the show they establish like there's a limited number of souls per philosopher stone. When they run out, they break and the monk hills dies and the stone goes away because they're not real philosopher stone. A real philosopher stone couldn't be harmed by that. That's wild. That's the deep lore that I bring to the show. <laughs> well, also even like when uh, Ed needs to heal himself and he has to like type into his like own soul force to even like- Yeah, that was, was like, wild. So he like, what is it? He like gets like cut open <laughs> really bad on like his abdomen or something? Yeah, he has to pull out like a piece of like um, shrapnel or like, I think it was like metal a fixture from like the building collapsing. Oh, that's it, right, it like it a pipe went yeah, through or something. He had to just- <laughs> but he literally had to destroy the like pipe so that he could free himself because he was like basically like on it like a skewer yeah. and then he had to like get the what the other like half lion man to like pull it out and he had to heal himself really fast and he's like I'm gonna use my own soul as like a philosopher's stone to like yeah. power this. so wild yeah. oh god that's so it's so metal. The whole show goes so much into like philosopher stones as like not actual real philosopher stones as like, because they're not perfect materials. They're just made from people. Yeah. It's not really overcoming equivalent exchange when souls are the things powering the alchemy. Mm -hmm. Does that mean like your soul can be any material? Is that the idea? I think it's more that it can be worth other things. Yeah. There's I also see. the concept though of like a soul is worth not, or rather a soul is priceless. And that's like why human transmutation doesn't work. Or at least one of the reasons why is that there's nothing you can give to the alchemy reaction to give a soul back. Mm -hmm. mm. Not even another soul. Yeah. So that's what I have for my brief little alchemy tour through history. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Uh, you're welcome. Yes. That's my expert opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to In My Expert Opinion. Please remember to rate and subscribe. We'd also be grateful if you'd leave a review with your expert opinion on why this podcast is rad. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at expertoppod, or email us at inmyexpertopinion at gmail.com. Later, nerds. <laughs>